communicate it clearly. May your spirit be actively engaging our hearts upward into Christ and spilling over the goodness of Christ into our community and among the nations. Be our teacher. Help us. Help me. Christ, we pray. Amen. Have you ever hoped and planned to visit someone or get together with someone and it just doesn't work out? You're uh, eager to meet and connect with them and things get busy. Days go by, weeks go by, months go by, years go by, and, and you still have not visited them. The Apostle Paul had that experience, as we're going to see in Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 15 today. What Paul said is um, he, he's, he had not yet gone to Rome. He, he didn't plant the church or churches in Rome. And uh, he longed for years, as in chapter 15 he says, for years I've longed to, to visit you and long to be with you. So he hopes to, to take a trip to Rome and see the Vatican. Just checking to see if you're tuning in. Not a Vatican there yet. He's um, writing this letter to the Romans to explain his gospel, to defend his gospel. And so just for review, what, what is the gospel? Can you say it in 30 seconds? So last week what we said, that the gospel is God rescues people from his judgment into peace with God through Jesus so they can live forever with him in his new creation. The gospel is God rescues people from his judgment into peace with God through Jesus so that people can live forever with him in his new creation. I also like saying it this way. The gospel is God's holy stubbornness not to accept ruin and his outlandish generosity to put all things right through Jesus. The gospel is God's holy stubbornness not to accept ruin and his outlandish generosity to put all things right through Jesus. I like that. I like that God does that. And so Romans is all about the gospel. Paul said that his mission is to um, bring about the obedience of faith among all nations for the sake of Jesus' name. And he says that in verse 5 of chapter 1. And he says to the Romans, my mission, because that's my assignment as an apostle, the apostle to the nations, to bring all under the obedience of Christ, I'm supposed to connect with you. And so I'm, I'm about to do that, but I'm going to write a letter so you can advance know what I'm all about. So he does that. Let's look at how Paul's mission and passion for the gospel fuel his desire to visit the Roman church and what it means for us. Maybe it means Harvest takes a trip to Rome. Matt, can you arrange that through Delta? All right, great. So let's look at verses 8 through 15 in chapter 1 in Romans. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, 
that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So in verse 8, Paul thanks God through Christ for all the Roman Christians. He gives thanks through Christ as the one who saved them. Why does he give thanks for them? He says because their faith is proclaimed in the whole world basically meaning the Roman Empire and the surrounding regions. He says it's known everywhere that there are Christ followers in Rome, in that important city, in, in the empire's capital city, and thus the heart of emperor worship. There are a group of people who don't worship the emperor, but who call Christ Lord, don't call the emperor Lord. Paul was grateful to God that the gospel had been embraced in Rome, for his passion was to see Christ named where he was not previously known. Where is your faith known? Do, do people know you're a Christian? In your family, hopefully, among your neighbors, among your co-workers, where you go to school. I'm thankful to God how he has strategically placed you so that your faith in Christ is known in uniquely assigned ways, in ways that he has assigned unique to you. In verse 9, he calls upon God as his witness. He says, God is my witness. God sees and knows. God whom I serve in my spirit. Basically saying, as I, I serve as an act of worship with my whole heart, my very being, my soul, in, in the gospel of his Son, that I constantly mention you. I wonder if they might doubt that he prays a lot for them because he hasn't visited them yet. Uh, what he's saying to them is out of a passion of, uh, uh, of as an apostle of, to the Gentiles for the gospel of God's Son. And for us, whatever we do or love for the sake of the gospel is by definition an act of worship. Whatever we do or love for the sake of the gospel is by definition an act of worship. What we love for the sake of the gospel fuels, fires, and fills our prayers. Oh, we need to pray gospel prayers for one another and for others. What, what does that look like? It looks like I'm praying for my friend or family member who needs to be set free from blindness and hardness of heart and bondage to sin by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It looks like praying for harvest to increasingly be a community of gospel sending and savoring and serving and transforming and missional people means praying for our missionaries and unreached people groups. There's a lot to pray for in light of the gospel of Christ. Paul continues in verse 10 saying, I always in my prayers am asking that somehow by God's will I may succeed in coming to, to you at last. His point here is that he strongly desires to come to them so much so that it's a major focus of his prayers. He can't pray for them without thinking, I've got to get to, I've got to, get to Rome. I, I need to preach the gospel in Rome. When you are grateful to God for a, a person or a people and you pray for them constantly, you can't help but to want to see them and be with them. 
that's a, a value in just having some people that you're constantly praying for, missionaries, people in the church, friends, family. Praying without ceasing, praying constantly is a good thing. That's where the work of gospel transformation really takes place. In verse 11, Paul says, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Paul's saying, I, I deeply desire to see you to impart some spiritual gift, a grace gift to strengthen them. He's not talking about spiritual gifts per se of the Holy Spirit that we all have, that we all serve one another and, and are empowered by the Spirit to, to serve one another through. He's really talking about um, bringing his preaching and teaching ministry as a means of grace to them. He wants to bring God's word to them to strengthen them, to establish them in the faith, to make them more firm. What often characterizes new believers? They're not stable. They're tossed about by winds of doctrine. Even Christians who are seasoned find their spiritual strength overtaxed and maxed out. Are you finding that your spiritual strength is, is maxed out? Are you finding yourself struggling because of lack of spiritual strength? Anybody besides me finding that? <laughs> Are you spiritually exhausted? Physical and emotional exhaustion can factor into spiritual fatigue as well. What often makes living for Jesus hard is we run out of heart strength. We need our strength renewed. And it's not just exhortations to be strong that renews our spiritual strength. As Paul said in 2 Timothy, he said, Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We need a grace infusion, and that often comes from refueling by receiving the teaching and preaching of, the, of God's word. But as he says in verse 12, it not only comes from hearing the word preached and taught, it comes from mutual encouragement by each other's faith. That's what he says in verse 12. That we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Even though Paul's an apostle, he knows that imparting spiritual strength is not a one-way street. He knows that when he visits the Roman churches, they will mutually encourage one another. And of course, the more you're living by faith, the more you can encourage other people by your faith. What inspires and, and strengthens Christians is when they are impacted by the faith of other believers. Seeing and hearing how other believers trust Christ in their day-to-day -day lives reminds us that God is faithful and worth trusting. It encourages us in faith when you share how you walked through adversity by faith. It encourages us when we are struggling to overcome an area of sin to hear how you have been turning away from sin and into obedience to God by faith in, in Jesus Christ. We do that in community groups and as well. What encourages me a lot these days is some of you are just taking the initiative and getting together and encouraging one another in your faith, sharing how God is working in your life, sharing your struggles and your burdens, and sharing how God is helping you grow through those things. That 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 needs to be increased, but it's it's happening, and I pray it continues to happen more and more in, in, in our body. You share with others how you have trusted the Lord with challenges in your parenting, in reconciling a broken relationship. How are you engaging your work as God's calling to serve others for Christ's sake and bring glory to Him? 
Marcus Miranda, president of the New York State Chaplain Task Force, said this about Officer Rafael Ramos, one of the officers who was gunned down December 20th in New York. He said this about him. The Lord was at the center of his life. God played a role in everything he did. He viewed being a New York City officer as a service to his community. In one of my conversations with him, he said he believed he was doing God's work because he was protecting and serving the community. He understood humanity has fallen and that we have issues in our city. However, he also felt he could be part of the solution. He believed that he could do the work of a police officer, do it well, be authoritative, be tough at times, but all the while being that beacon of hope. His desire was to be faithful and to that included doing his job with integrity. That's an example of, of living out your faith in your everyday work. It is so important that we know that as we live out our callings, our everyday lives by faith in Christ, that we can encourage others by our faith. Your work, your family life, your community life, your school, your social life are all contexts where your faith in Christ is tested, perfected, and displayed. We display the, the worth of gospel-centered obedience in, in all of life. Paul says in verse 13, I do not want you to be unaware that I've often intended to come to you. Paul often wanted to come to them, but circumstances had prevented him. He doesn't say what those were. He certainly trusted God about in his providence, what the struggles were, whatever they were. He has not given up. What does Paul mean that he wanted to reap some harvest among them as the rest of the Gentiles? He simply means that he hopes that he will obtain some, some results. He wants results. He hopes for some gospel impact. He wants his preaching and teaching to build them up and strengthen them. As he says in, in another passage, I don't run aimlessly. I don't box as one beating the air. I, I design to, to build you up in the faith. I design to see people come to Christ. In verse 14, he says, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. I think, Paul, aren't you busy enough? You have a lot going on. You've got a lot of churches you've been involved with. Do you really need to get involved with the church in Rome? Why, do, why are you so passionate about getting to Rome? Paul says he must reap some harvest, some fruit, because he is under obligation. He must preach the gospel in Rome because of his calling as an apostle to bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations, among all peoples, among all ethnic groups. Rome is too central and significant to advancing the gospel and the obedience of faith for Paul not to exercise his obligation as the apostle to the Gentiles. So a sense of obligation is not merely an emotional, psychological one. It's not just, hey, I feel guilty, I need to come see you. Rather, it is his conviction driven by God's commission to him as an apostle. He says in another text, For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So Paul, God had targeted Paul as a, bringing the gospel to the nations, and, and he was the foundational apostle for the Gentile churches, and we stand in his 
in his train, in his, um, we've inherited what he started, what he established. And his obligation for preaching the gospel is to people of all cultures, languages, and educational backgrounds, to whether they're Greek or not, whether they're foolish or wise. In the Roman Empire, there were those who spoke Greek and adopted Greek culture, and who, when they said, it's Greek to me, meant they really understood what he was talking about. And there were those who didn't speak Greek and and whose culture was not Greek. They were barbarians, such as Conan. (laughs) He spoke with a Swedish-American accent. Whose speech sounded to the Greeks like bar, bar, bar. That that word barbarian comes from, it's it's a, I don't know if I can say this, onomatopoeic. It's it's a word, thank you, Gypsy's nodding her head. She's She's a language person. It's a word that means it sounds like what it is, so... Barbarian is a word that sounds like what they thought nonsensical language sounded like to them. He says, I'm under obligation to people of all sorts, of all cultures, of all classes, educated or not, Greek or not. Do we have an obligation to spread the gospel? Well, we are not apostles. Apostles are not we. But we do have a command from Jesus to make disciples of all nations. And that's for all disciples to be making disciples of all nations. And we all have unique roles in that. We're not all called to um, stand up in front of people and preach and teach. But we all have gospel connections that we are to to serve. As Paul will say in in chapter 13, uh, owe no one anything except to love each other. That means we are always obligated to do good for them, and the greatest good that we can do is share Christ with them. So be praying for people who don't know Christ, that you could have a role in in leading them to Christ, whatever that is. How can you even get started? Well, you can talk about God. Valid subject. You can ask questions. What do you think God thinks about the terrorists killing those satire newspaper uh, artist in, in Paris. I'd be crying out to God if I was going down in that Air Asia plane. How about you? And if that's too weird and awkward, I like to pray for people. How could I pray for you? God loves to answer prayer. Have at least one God sentence this week with someone. And I'll check in with you next week to see if you uttered a God sentence. In verse 15, Paul says, I am eager, so, because I have this obligation, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. You say, but haven't they already come to faith in the gospel? Aren't they already Christians? Yes. But they and we are strengthened by hearing and believing the gospel. Because the gospel is about Jesus Christ and all that he is for us. The gospel is the whole curriculum for the Christian life. It begins with the ABCs that Christ loved us, became a man, died for our sins, and rose again, so that if we believe in him, we may be saved. 
But because the gospel is about Jesus Christ and all that he is for us, it also goes deep and wide. Because it addresses the big picture mission of the church and what God is doing among the nations. It tells the whole story of how God is working all things to the end of establishing his kingdom. So the gospel has the micro level starting point and the, the macro level big picture. It gives us confidence in God's good and wise redemptive plan for humanity. And as Paul unfolds the gospel in Romans, he reveals the amazing tapestry and beauty of our salvation from the ugliness of sin and death. So again, back in verse 5, Paul said that his mission was to bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations. He didn't believe his work as an apostle was accomplished until the churches were established and persevering. It wasn't enough for him just to drop a gospel bomb and say, see you later. For example, after planning a church in Thessalonica, he sent Timothy to see whether his work was in vain. If this church turned away from the gospel, then his apostolic work was useless, he said. He wanted them to stand firm in the Lord. The gospel motivates and shapes and empowers every aspect of the Christian life. In Philippians 1.27, Paul writes, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Pray that way for us as a church this week. He says, So whether I come and see you or or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. The gospel is what we live for. It's it's what we serve for. It's what we're fighting for. It's, It's what we're clinging on to. It's what we advertise. It's what we're all about. You need the gospel every day. Why? Because we live with injury unhealed, harm unresolved, pain unrelieved. Something that reduces us to our need for God's surprising redemptive power. Why would you try to handle your pains and sins on your own when you have Jesus? We are so prone to rely on our own strength and wisdom or the world's ways of dealing with pain and sin. So one of the advantages I have with having a Parkinson's problem is it helps me to realize how dependent I am upon God. If I seek to go it alone, it doesn't go well. We all have pains and sins that drive us to God. And take advantage of those. And see the gospel Go deep into the gospel. Cling on to the gospel of Christ for your for your help and your hope and your joy. We are so prone to rely on our own strength and wisdom or the world's ways of dealing with pain and sin or we fall into hopeless despair or we forget how much we need Christ. That is why we need to keep regularly immersed in the gospel. It reveals our hardness, our dullness of heart. It restores our hope. It frees us from sin and unbelief. It shines the light of Christ's truth into times of darkness and deception. The gospel calls us into Christ's mission and of helping others enter into and grow in the obedience of faith. It calls us to make gospel visits. It reveals to us the glory and beauty of Christ. 
It can't be hoarded. It's too good to keep. We've got to give it away. Paul was eager for a gospel visit with the church in Rome. His eagerness reflects God's heart in visiting with us, in being with us. Do you know that God enjoys being with you? He does. If you don't believe that, you really don't know the gospel. The good news is that by faith in Christ and his death and resurrection for us, God accepts us as fully as he accepts his son. He loves you even as he loves his son. He loves you the same as his son because his son is your rescuer and you have been implanted into the very life of his son. Ending with this quote, If the father loves you even as he loves his son, then you are on visiting terms with him. If you long for him, he, he much more longs for you. No sinner was ever half as eager for Christ as Christ is eager for the sinner. No saint was ever one-tenth as anxious to behold his Lord as the Lord is to behold him. If you are running to Christ, he is already near you. If you sigh for his presence, that sigh is evidence that he is with you. If you are running to Christ, he is, ever, he is already near you. If you sigh for his presence, that sigh is the evidence that he is with you. He is with you even now. Therefore, be glad. Father, we are glad that Christ has entered into our mess, entered into our world, took on human flesh, became sin for us, that we might become his righteousness for you. As you've supplied us, what we didn't have, what we lacked. We lacked righteousness in life. You gave it to us. And with that, you really, really love us. And in your love for us, you call us to a mission, a mission of communicating the gospel to others, living it out, trusting in it for every area of our lives. Father, give us wisdom this week to see how the gospel infiltrates and impacts every area of our life. May we be a gospel people. May we constantly be Christ. Christward in our thoughts and our desires and our prayers. Remind us to pray for one another throughout the week. Pray for Harvest Community Church to be a gospel-reproducing church, a gospel-sending church, a gospel-savoring church, to grow deep and wide and strong in the gospel. For your glory in Christ we pray. Amen. Francis Chan,